Well, church, continuing on our journey through the uh, gospel of Matthew, we come to a story that I think we can all identify with. You see, not many of us can identify with the Savior that we looked at a couple weeks ago that got baptized without needing to repent. I can't identify with that kind of Jesus. I need to repent. My baptism pictures that. We can't necessarily identify with the Jesus whose birth is signified by choirs of angels. Now, my mom sent out birth announcements. Not quite the same thing. The fanfare was different because the people are different. We can't identify, perhaps, with the Jesus who walks on water, who feeds 5,000. Now, I think Sammy might be able to come close. (laughs) But there's a lot of things about Jesus that we just don't get. We don't really identify with. However, when we come to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11... There is one experience that Jesus has had that we all identify with quite easily. And that's the issue of temptation. You see, we've gone through all the fanfare affiliated with Jesus' birth. The magi, the madness of Herod, the flight to Egypt. And last week we saw the man, Jesus appear on the scene, commissioned by the Father, anointed by the Spirit, coronated as king to begin his kingly ministry. And in today's passage, as we continue along, notice that Jesus goes immediately from the approval of heaven to the assault of hell. Have you ever experienced that? You just got the car fixed, and it won't crank on Monday morning. You feel good, and then you go to the doctor. There's peace, and then there's not. Jesus goes from his baptism, what a special moment, to temptation. He's crowned as king, and now he's tested concerning his kingliness. So this morning, I'd like for us to look at our passage, read that together, and ask God how he would instruct us. God's word says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Pray with me, please. God, as we have the opportunity today to receive food for our spirit from your word, open up our minds to receive the instruction that you have for us. Help us to understand that there is spiritual warfare all around us and help us to fight well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's very clear, very quickly in this passage that Jesus is in a very different circumstance than he was previously. We see... Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 4 starts with, then Jesus was led. The then is a time statement, saying that after Jesus' baptism, almost immediately, we don't know the time frame, but almost immediately after his baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit for some solitude. I don't know if you've spent much time in a Wilderness, and when the wilderness is spoken of here, it is a desert area. It's an arid place. This is not an um, all-inclusive resort that Jesus is going to. He's going to a place to be alone with his Father. And notice this, that Jesus is led to this place, how? By the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit, to a place for solitude, and the devil is waiting. Jesus was going to be alone with his Father, and he had unexpected company. Isn't that how trouble always starts off? If it was unexpected, it would be easier to deal with. But it always strikes at the most inopportune and unassuming times. And I think it's interesting to note here that for Jesus himself, submission to the Holy Spirit does not avoid temptation. How good do you have to be for nothing bad to ever happen to you? I know you haven't really asked that question that way, but isn't that the way that we operate? If I'm good enough, God will bless me. If I'm good enough, I'll feel His smile upon me. If I'm good enough, He'll keep me safe. That's not entirely true. The very first thing that we note in this passage is a a truth that is hard for us to understand. And what we have to come to believe, what we have to come to experience to really know, is that what God intends as a test for us, the devil will use as a temptation. You see, the actual word that is used there, tempted by the devil, can be translated either way. The word can be translated as tested, proven, 
shown to be of superior quality, or tempted in the sense of twisted and shown to not be of superior quality. Some of you have worked in jobs where your job is quality control. Well, what does quality control do? It tests and it proves that something either passes the test or it succumbs to the temptation and therefore is rejected, not sold to the public. That's exactly what is happening here. The word tempted can be translated as test. And Jesus has just been baptized and, so to speak, led by the Spirit, he goes into the wilderness for a 40-day seminary education. He has a massive job in front of him over the next three years to teach, to heal, to offer hope. And after his commissioning, he is preparing himself. It's after these 40 days are up that the adversary appears. Isn't it strange that right after such a triumphant and glorious thing like his baptism, he goes directly to temptation? I don't know about you, but I notice that sometimes. After, after a really sweet spiritual time, then something happens and you don't remember that sweet time anymore. Has it happened to you? Have you ever, and this may be my own frailty, have you ever tried to dedicate yourself to prayer? And that the minute you kneel down and you start to pray, your grocery list pops into your mind. It's trash day and I forgot to take the garbage out. Oh my goodness, I have a due date. I've got a test tomorrow. I've got an appointment and I've got schedule, conflict scheduling. Oh, dear God, please. I don't know what it is, but it seems like my, my mind gets hyperactive the moment I say, I'm going to spend time in prayer. Why does that happen? Because what God intends is a test. The devil will use as a temptation. Are you committed to being focused? Perhaps not. We need to remember <clears throat> that very clearly it is God who tests and Satan who tempts. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, you'll see it on the screen, says this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. I don't know if we have any fishermen here in the audience. I know we've got some hunters. (laughs) I don't know if we have any fishermen. A fisherman cannot make a fish bite his hook. But he, can, he can sure make it appealing. He can spray stuff on it. Pheromones. <laughs> Blood bait. There are things that you can do to chum up the water to entice it. But that fish has to make the decision to bite, bite the hook. The fisherman just chooses how he wiggles the worm. We succumb to a temptation when something in front of us is dangled in front of us to such a way that we are enticed to grab for it. 
And so this is an important lesson as we look at what happens in Jesus' life. We realize that he was not exempt from testing and temptation. And neither are we. But a second point that is helpful for us in our understanding of this passage is that we have to recognize that Jesus himself was tempted in every way like we are. Jesus himself was tempted in every way like we are. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Yet he's without sin. And when we look at what is happening here in the temptation of Christ, there is something um, more sinister than what happens in our temptations. You see, the devil is not simply trying to get Jesus to screw up. He's not trying to have Jesus have a oh-no moment. This is a diabolical attempt to destroy God's plan by causing Jesus to disobey, disqualifying Him as a sinless Savior. Friends, you should see yourself in this passage. Because if the devil wins, not only does Jesus lose and the Father lose, friends, we lose too. Our substitute is disqualified. The man for all men is cast out. He's a failure. God's Son Himself is not exempt from temptation. So why in the world would we think that we are? Why in the world would we think like we are? Just like in the episode with King Herod, who himself, as a human agent, tried to wipe out God's plan by killing all the babies. Here is Satan's bold-faced attempt to destroy God's plan of salvation. And so it's important for us in understanding how Jesus was tempted in all ways like we are to look here quickly, briefly, at the temptations that faced Jesus. You see the first temptation in verses 3 and 4. The tempter, the devil, Satan, came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, If. Was there any doubt in Satan's mind that Jesus was who he was? Very insidious what is happening here. What has Jesus just heard with his own ears at his baptism? The voice of the Father saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And what is Satan's first temptation? Are you sure that God meant what you thought you heard? You know, it could have been a, you know, you didn't quite have your radio tuned in to the right frequency. You sure you, you didn't hear something wrong? If you are, there's no doubt in the devil's mind. He's a slanderer, and he's trying to cause doubt even in Jesus' mind. There was anyone, if I was the devil, if there was anyone I wasn't going to tempt, It would be Jesus. That would seem like an exercise in futility. He says, hey, Jesus, I know that God God said this. I know I said if. Well, I really know that you are. But think about this, Jesus. Let's, Let's talk about this. 
God said, you're his son, but you're hungry. I wouldn't do that to my son. I wouldn't make you suffer. That's inconceivable that you are God's son and you're hungry. You're the son of God after all. Why is he making you fast? 40 days and 40 nights? Yeah, I'm sure you're hungry. But you know what? We can fix this. Pursue self-gratification. Serve yourself. You have the power. He attacks Jesus at this point, at his, his point of weakness. He knows after 40 days that he's hungry. And so he says, serve yourself. Meet your needs apart from God's plan. And what does Jesus say? He says it over and over again. It is written. It's written. Satan, let me tell you what the scriptures say. And he says, man shall not live on bread alone, addressing his hunger, but man should live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Satan, you just need to know that you're coming at me, telling me to serve myself and to feed myself food. But you know what's more important to me than food? Obedience. Obedience. And saying, I know you don't get that because you're all about wants and needs and fulfilling them right away. But I am glad to be hungry if this is God's plan for me because I'm going to obey. Friends, isn't it great to see a Savior that was so committed to fulfilling the plan of his Father that he did not give in to temptation? He won't perform a miracle to alleviate his suffering, because he fully understands that this suffering is part of God's perfect plan. He trusted God's goodness. And he said, you know what? Satan, the Spirit led me here, and I fully trust that the Spirit will lead me out. And I don't need your help. It would be great if we could all resist that first temptation and know that from there on out, it's done. It's gone. Pass the test. Woohoo! Party! What happens? Satan doesn't leave. He says, All right. You want to play? You, th- you think you can handle me? All right, yeah. You got the first one. Let's see if you can handle the second one. Verses 5 through 7. It says, the devil took him. And I think this is interesting. Uh, Listen to this. The devil took him to where? The holy city. And then had him stand where? On the pinnacle of the temple. What's the temple? A holy place. And then he said, um, verse 6, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, and you won't even strike your foot against a stone. Satan says, all right, I can play your game. You quote back to me scripture. I say, hey, you know, turn these stones into bread. You say, it is written. I can play the it is written game, and I'll one-up you. I'll, I'll take you to a holy city. I'll take you to a holy place, and I'll use a holy word. And I'm going to come at you not at your point of weakness, but your point of strength. You think you can take me on with the Bible? I know the Bible, Jesus. So here, temptation number two. He uses scripture against him. He says, okay, Jesus, you trust your dad? You say, 
I'm not going to eat because that's not God's plan for me right now. You trust him? Cool. Prove it. Prove it. Because the scriptures say, if you jump, you won't, you won't splat. If you jump, he'll send his angels down to catch you. Glorify God by proving that God is a man of his word. What's he doing? He's putting God to the test. And God, you said it. Psalm 91, he'll jump and he won't, even, he won't even stub his tail. You'll send your angels to catch him. Throw yourself down, Jesus. And together, let's watch God fulfill his scripture. Won't that be glorious? If the first temptation was to try to get Jesus to be underconfident in God's plan, okay? Jesus, you're the son of God. Why are you hungry? Why would God do that to you? Why would the father do that if you're his son? I don't know that you need to have confidence in his plan. The second temptation is overconfidence. Okay, hey, listen, the Bible says this, so prove it, do it. And Jesus knew something about the scripture that Satan quite didn't understand. (laughs) And it's this. Don't test God. There's a difference between stumbling and being protected by God and intentionally jumping. I'm trying to teach my boys that. There's a difference between an accident and a self-inflicted wound. (laughs) Insurance will deal with one a lot more easily than the other. What in the world? Satan says, if God's testing you, test him back. Let's see if he's a man of the word. And Jesus responds, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, you know, Satan, I don't need to perform a miracle. I don't need to put God to the test. I'm content to rest in God's ordinary providence. I don't need to prove anything. I trust him. I take him at his word, and I don't need to prove it. I'm proving it by my obedience. I don't need to manipulate something supernatural. And so Satan is trying to outsmart him on the scriptures. But Jesus knew the difference between an accident and intentionally jumping. He knew that God's promise of protection was no excuse for recklessness. It's kind of like the way you drive a rental car. (laughs) You don't drive it like it's your own. When it's your own, you wash that baby, and you wax it, and you vacuum it. The rental car, you drive it hard. Put it away dirty. You don't care. But he knew that this was no cause for recklessness. And Jesus knew That in this instance, to test God would be to doubt God. Why do you test him? Because you don't trust him. He said, I don't need to prove anything, Satan. You might need something proved to you. But I know my father. And I don't need to prove a thing. I trust him. Temptation number three in verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want you to notice, where did Jesus start out? He started out in a desert. He started out in a wilderness. And the devil took him higher to the holy city. 
And even higher in the holy city to the pinnacle of the temple. Well, now where does Satan take him for the third temptation? Not just to a high place. The scriptures say to a very high place. Satan keeps taking him higher and higher and higher and higher. And it's just interesting to me that the Holy Spirit keeps leading Jesus lower and lower and lower and lower. He comes from the glories of heaven to a world filled with sin. The Bible says that though he is God eternally, he takes on flesh and becomes a man with our weaknesses. That last week, he's not just a man, but he steps into a river in an act of submission that identifies him as a sinner, though he is without sin. And then from his baptism, the Spirit leads him again into a wilderness where he comes face to face with the adversary. You see, Satan will always tempt you to move higher. The Spirit will always test you to move lower, towards more humility. Satan to tempt you towards greater pride. In this temptation, man, it's a doozy. It's kind of a metaphor. I mean, how high of a mountain would it need to be to be able to see all the kingdoms of the world? It doesn't exist. It's a vision. And he's, Jesus, everything I got, I'll give to you. Just bow down and worship me. You kind of think Jesus would say, wow, Satan, that sure is generous for you to offer. I really appreciate that. You're going to give me the deed to everything. Wow. But he knew that this was the exact opposite of the spirit who had led him downward. Satan says, you deserve better. Enough with all this humility stuff. You're you're allowing God to embarrass you by being in a desert starving. You don't even want to put him to the test and prove that he is who he is. Enough with the humility stuff. Jesus, here's the deal. I won't make you grovel to get a kingdom. I'll give it to you. Right now. Give me three seconds. On your knees. And I give you everything that you will have to suffer to buy. He's offering Jesus a kingdom without a cross. This is off the record here just a a little bit. It's one of those things that you don't intend to say, but then things kind of just happen. Everybody wants to have a sweet walk with Jesus. I mean, if I asked in here, who wants to be holy? Unless you're asleep, you would raise your hand. Larry. Oh! (laughs) You know that's why we put him in the choir. If I said, who wants to be holy... I would hope everyone here would raise your hand. But if you're wise, do you know what the cost of that is? There will be unimaginable things that you have to deal with. And through that, God will sustain you. He will bring you through. Because Jesus knew there is no kingdom without a cross. An obedience to God that costs you nothing 
Take it back to Big Lots and see if you can get back what you paid for it because it's not even worth that. What does your obedience cost you? Don't make God's grace something cheap and trivial. Well, you know what? I'm saved. I got my get out of hell card, get out of hell free card. So I'm going to live however the heck I want. No. God has bought you to redeem you, to make you his child. Act like it. Don't treat God's grace like a minor thing. Satan has moved from tempting Christ with underconfidence then to overconfidence. And now he's saying other confidence. Bow down to me and I'll give you, I'll sell you much cheaper the same stuff, the same package that God's selling to you uh, much more expensively. Give up on God's plan and get on board with me. Put confidence in me and earn the kingdom now instead of having to work and inherit it later. Why is this a temptation? To Jesus, because all these things have already been promised to them, haven't they? God's already promised him the kingdom. The temptation is the shortcut. It's the shortcut. Getting it without paying the price. Satan says, You are the son, so why be a servant? You're the son, why serve? Exalt yourself. Take the shortcut. Rob God of the worship due to Him and give it to yourself and give it to me. We can do this. But number three, we need to rejoice that Jesus passes the test by resisting the temptation. Jesus passes the test by resisting the temptation. Verse 11 says, when Jesus gets done, He says, I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to serve you. And the devil left him. Why? Because Christ is who the Bible has said he is. He's king. He's God in the flesh. He's the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. Satan has thrown everything he can to short-circuit God's plan of redemption. And Satan is defeated. And friend, that gives us hope. That gives us hope that when he comes against us, Not that we can defeat him, but our God can. And there's a very major point that Matthew is trying to make to us. It's a theological point, but it's an important point. There are interesting parallels between Jesus and Hebrew history. You see, especially when you get to the first temptation, turn the rocks into bread. That kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you are the Son of God, has God really said, don't turn these rocks into bread? Has God really said, you can't eat from any of the fruit in the garden? Hmm, kind of interesting to see this parallel. Adam was tempted with food and failed. Jesus resisted, even though he fasted for 40 days. Adam had a garden of plenty. We don't know that he missed a meal, and he failed when tempted. Jesus is gone more than a month, and he passes the test. The nation of Israel questioned God's plan of deliverance. Do you remember what happened? God has just parted the Red Sea. He's destroyed the army of Egyptians that are chasing him, and they go, we're just going to get this crusty bread to eat all the time? 
Oh, for some garlic. Something with flavor. Man, take us back to Egypt. God, I don't know. Did Moses really hear? Did he get the GPS coordinates? Does he have the address? They questioned his plan of deliverance when they were tested in the wilderness. And yet when Christ is tempted in his own wilderness, he resolutely sought to adhere to God's plan, even at great personal cost. You see, the children of Israel were going to complain about what they eat. And Jesus could have complained about the cost that it was going to cost him, and yet he obeyed. Here's the thing that's so deadly. Satan sought to destroy Jesus just like he had destroyed Adam and just like he had destroyed Israel. But praise be to God, where Adam and Israel failed. Jesus as the new Adam, Jesus as the new Israel, obeyed perfectly. That's why we have hope. It's not a bunch of Old Testament laws that we obey. It's because we have a new person, a new head, a new Adam, a new Israel to show us the right way. That's an important point in the development of the biblical storyline. But to get practical for a second, if Satan continued to strike, to strike, to strike with no avail, to strike at the Son of God to no result, how much more relentless Will he be with weaklings like us? Where's our hope? Yes, we understand that Jesus can resist temptation, uh, but not me. I give in. I get angry. I say things that I shouldn't. I do things that I shouldn't. I think things that I shouldn't. What can I do? And friends, we need to be reminded that we have a spiritual world all around us and that there is a warfare that has been going on ever since Genesis chapter 3. And we're fools to think otherwise. So the hope for us is this, our fourth and final point. Resource yourself like Jesus and with Jesus. Resource yourself like Jesus and with Jesus. I ask this question. What was essential for Christ and his response to each of the temptations. It's part of it. It's an important part. We're going to get to that. But I want you to look at how Jesus responded to each of these. He, he, he begins his response in each of these cases by saying, It is written. It is written. It is written. So like Jesus, use his source. Jesus used a source that is accessible to every single one of us. It's called the Scriptures. This is not who wants to be a millionaire. And Jesus says, huh, that's a great question, Satan. Let me phone a friend. Just happens to have God on his speed dial. Hey, God, what should I do? No, he's using a resource that each of us have. It's been said that Satan is the master of a thousand arts. But God's word can easily vanquish and conquer him if we know it. Friends, the point is this. When we talk about temptation, man, it might be a good pep rally for us to say, try harder. Look the other way. 
Think before you speak. But where's the gospel in that? Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Well, that's, that's a recipe for hopelessness. You can't win. And, and with your own resources, you will fail every time. And the only time you don't, it's Satan giving you a victory to make you proud so that you think you can do it in your own power. There's no gospel in try harder. The, the gospel is in you need something outside of you. You need his word to inform you how to live. Use his source. But a second thing that we don't see often, like Jesus, we can use his source, but with Jesus, we need to learn to be God-aware. Look at each of the responses. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 7. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Verse 10. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus isn't just depending on a bunch of crocheted scripture verses hanging in His bathroom to fight the devil. He's aware that he he wants to be obedient to his Father, to God. He is so aware of God that when Satan throws up a temptation, he's ready. He doesn't wait till the moment to go, oh goodness, I need to call my prayer circle and we need to pray about this. We need to ponder the possibilities. What do I do? He's so aware of God that he's ready to respond. And the problem is, awareness of God has grown so dim in our day and age, that the only time we think about him is when we come to church. Being aware of God is essential. Because, friends, you have no power in yourself to resist. You cannot do it. But as you grow in your awareness of God and are mindful of the special connection that you have to Christ... You can have Jesus' power by walking in His Spirit. It's been said, you can't walk in the Spirit and walk in sin at the same time. Did you get that? You cannot walk in the Spirit and sin at the same time. Two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's either Spirit or sin that's controlling you. The problem is, um, the minute we get full of them, we start leaking really fast. We're like a sieve trying to pour water in, trying to pour water in. If we could just plug up the holes and keep the Spirit, we'd be different. Important for us, when you are connected to Christ, you will be connected to His people. It's not worth glossing over that Jesus was attacked in the wilderness when He was by Himself. There's a power that comes from God's people that if you're not connected to His church... Men, you might feel like you're strong enough to be a lone ranger, but that's not me. I need, I need God's people to encourage me to walk the way that I do. The challenge for us this morning is to look at Jesus and to realize all those things that are in your heart and in your mind right now that you don't want anyone to know, He knows them. The things that you've even hidden from yourself, he knows them. And the Bible says that again, 
He's been tempted in all ways that are common to us. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus had a problem, was tempted with internet stuff. But it means that he was tempted in every kind of way. Hey, Jesus, you don't have food. You need to make some food. You ever been tempted to measure your life by the stuff that you have? I knew a guy in college who said he, he determined that he would be a success when he could eat steak for dinner every night. Be real careful. You want to measure your life by your stuff? You can have a lot of stuff and be the poorest person in the room. Jesus was tempted to measure his life by his stuff and by his comforts. Jesus was tempted to misuse spiritual gifts for his own glory. Has pride ever been an issue for mankind? Jesus is tempted to power by improper shortcuts. You've never been tempted to cut any corners, have you? You've never been tempted to grasp for power that doesn't belong to you. It doesn't matter the temptations that you faced. Jesus says, I know it. I know it. I know what you're dealing with. But I won't help you until you confess it. Until you lay it down. So friend, whatever you are going through, take it to the Lord. You may be well aware of your finiteness. You may feel like the 98-pound weakling when temptation comes into your life. You know what? You are. How's that for an encouraging message today? But the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you want to live in your strength or do you want to affirm the gospel and live in the strength that only a sinless, dead, and resurrected Savior can bring? Let's pray. God, we are so weak. If we're honest, we're embarrassed at our weakness. We're embarrassed that we have besetting sins that just kind of peek into our life and the temptation is too great for us. Whatever the issue is, God, we know that you're strong enough to deal with it. And we pray that this morning, whether we've suffered unjustly, whether our circumstances are terrible, or whether we are somewhere in between, that we will resolutely set our faces to not trusting in our own strength, but in the strength and power of God alone that you give us through your word, through your spirit, and with your people. Convict us of our hidden sins. Now, I pray. Amen.